now. Admit all. And awesome. So welcome everyone. I'm going to start with a short intro. So hello and welcome to today's masterclass with Adam Lazare of Broadside. My name is Antoinette Londijan from Cork and Fork in Washington, DC. We are a premium wine store founded by a multi-generational flying winemaker originally from Champagne. I am super excited to introduce today's producer and all of the group that comes with him. Uh, there is much to tell about the Broadside story and the wine, so instead I'll just focus on our speaker, Adam. Quickly about his background, after falling in love with wine while serving honorably in the, the United States Army, Adam chose to attend Fresno State's Enology program. After graduation, he went on to work in the Central Coast for several vineyards, including Constellation Wine Company. To give perspective, Adam is a veteran winemaker with nearly 20 years of experience behind him. Previously, he was the vice president of winemaking for Hanna State's winery in Monterey County and he has additional experience working in Chile and Spain. On top of all of these uh, wonderful uh, historical accolades, he also has won best of show in, the in many prestigious wine competitions, including the LA International Wine Competition, where he is named the only three-time winner of this respected wine competition. Adam was named Winemaker of the Year and was also one of the top five winemakers in the San Francisco, San Francisco Chronicle. Adding to, again, these accolades, Adam was ranked number 69 on intro, IntoWine.com's 100 Most Influential pe People in the United States Wine Industry. We are honored and delighted to have Adam and his team join us this evening. For those joining us live, we'd love to hear from you. Place your questions in the chat and we will get to them time allowing. And we will move directly into the presentation. Steven Diaz, please introduce yourself briefly and also introduce Adam or Day, uh, sorry, Dale, Damien or Heather for the group. <laughs> All right, we'll see who I decide to just uh, do a Hollywood Square pick on. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, whether you're joining us live or uh, at a different time when it's not such a lovely day outside. I uh, certainly don't judge you for that. Uh, my name is Steven Diaz. I'm with Constantine Wines, very proud partner of Wine Hooligans and specifically Broadside. We have about half the Broadside entourage with us uh, today, so it's very exciting. Um, quick two cents uh, unsolicited about um, Broadside. My first uh, exposure to them was when Dale was trying to solicit my company to represent them. Uh, we were kind of back and forth for months. I hadn't tasted the wines, but I went to Charleston. Um, because I'm broke, I hung out in the uh, hipster part of town. And it seemed like every bar, every nice, cool, underground restaurant was pouring broadside uh, Paso Robles Cabernet. And I tried it and immediately saw why. These wines, <clears throat> they're juicy, they're tasty, they're not sold out though. Uh, they are still varietally correct. And for me, what I love about them is that they are good quality wines that are not pretentious and incredibly accessible to wine drinkers at any budget, um, at any price point. Uh, I always like to tell people, I'm a lot more impressed by a high quality, good $20 bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon than I am by a $150 uh, bottle of Napa Valley Cabernet. It's $150, it, better da it damn well better be good. Uh, if it's 15 to 20 and it's good, you lucked out. So I think you lucked out tonight. We're gonna have some really tasty wine that just incredibly accessible. Um, I'll hand it off to, let's go to Damien. Hey, well, that was a great introduction, and uh, I, wish, I wish I was with you guys in D.C., but I'm in Missoula, Montana, having fun, and we will we'll have a great time this evening because there are six fantastic wines, and, uh, and Adam's a fan, not only a fantastic winemaker, but a great presenter, and we'll do a little bit of education, too. We'll try to kind of give you a feel for where the winery is and, uh, and what we do there as well, okay? So... I'm going to pop in and share a screen and we'll go in and out. This won't be like, you know, complete like prezo mode, but um, 
forgive me. There's a, so now we're, now we're officially doing the screen share. So just real quick, there's, Wine Hooligans is a cool company as well, Stephen, because we're this portfolio of small family producers. Uh, not only I, I get the you know pleasure of working with Adam in the Willamette Valley on Oregon Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris, but we have a couple projects out of Central Coast, Paso Robles, and the North Coast project from Stephen Vincent. So really cool stuff. Today, though, oh, and I think we should always do that. Before we start any wine tasting, you guys, we should all just stop for a happy splash, okay? So grab that cup. Everyone, just cheers. I don't care what's in your glass. Just get something. Excellent. And while everyone is pouring their wine, I just want to jump in uh, super quickly and let everyone know that the uh, corrected tasting order will be in the chat box and we will also review it um, uh, visually. So if you have any questions, uh, the lineup will be in the chat box. All right. So in fact, let's just jump to that right now. Because Adam and Antoinette just went over this and decided on an order that, uh, that we think is really fits what we're going through. So we're going to do, we're going to start off with the white. So you guys should have a, a sample of Chardonnay, the broadside Chardonnay. And then we're going to go to the broadside Paso Cab. And from there, we're going to do the, the red blends and then margarita vineyard cab and that's a fantastic story we'll talk about this really famous spot in Paso Robles and then the margarita vineyard merlot and then we're going to do the reserve black letter cab that's probably about 70 percent from margarita so it's really cool we'll do a margarita cab a margarita vineyard designate merlot and then a really special cabernet uh, that's majority from uh, margarita vineyard as well so adam let's just jump right into the uh the chardonnay okay sure so and i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah, stop I'm, sharing at this point all right you guys i'm not on mute am i you can i guess you can no no it. you're you're perfect hello am i not on mute i'm just making sure all right hi everybody thanks for joining um i gotta update my bio it's now been 30 years uh, in the uh i gotta so maybe uh, heather you can remind me at some point next week to update add another decade onto my bio. Oh, I just had a birthday a couple of days ago. I can't believe it. Anyway, so um, I'm actually really pumped uh, to be doing this here. This is a lot of fun. And it's nice because this is not an enormous group of 150 people um, where you often get lost in, in the shuffle. And you hear somebody's baby screaming in the backyard and you hear the dog barking or maybe in the, in the background, the dog barking in the backyard and, and then people dropping glasses and stuff like that. So this is awesome. This is great. I want to thank you, Antoinette, for uh, for and and uh, Stephen for for uh, making sure this thing went down. You guys are supporting us. So I'm right now uh, in California. I'm in my house in Paso Robles, where I just spent the day blending up the 2019 broadside Paso Robles Cabernet. Um, that was a very long and lengthy uh, process. Um, promise I spit. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm good to speak today. And I'm actually uh, excited to be enjoying wine for a change today instead of just having to go over one brutally tannic wine after another until we get a finally correct Chardonnay that you guys have in front of you. So, the whole, I mean, the whole idea behind the broadside, this really great program of, of Paso Robles and Central Coast wines. I live here in Paso Robles and I've been making wine. I've lived in Paso Robles for about 18 years now. And... Uh, I've made wine, as Antoinette had mentioned, all over, well, actually all over the world, but primarily all over the West Coast, from Oregon all the way down to Santa Barbara. And uh, I just love what's going on down here in Paso Robles. I was making wine in Paso Robles long before it was hip to have Paso Robles wines. Um, we're thankful for a lot of the great uh, trailblazers like Justin and Jay Lore. Um, who I think are just do fantastic work. Uh, we have a lot of great newcomers, Dow, which is very popular. Um, you know, we've been, I think, Wine Spectator, Wine of the Year with uh, Saxon and a bunch of other really great small producers have all moved in. And it's no longer kind of the, you know, rinky-dink amateur winemaking that you often see in a new region. Um, we've got some of the top winemakers that have come in from France and Australia and Italy, um, Napa, uh, from all over the world, uh, viticulturalists, that's the key thing, the people that grow the grapes, 
are the real heroes of, of Paso Robles winemaking. Um, you could be the best winemaker in the world, but if you're given garbage to work with, <clears throat> it's not going to help you. So we've, we've attracted some of the best uh, viticulturalists in the world too. So it's a lot of fun to be here in this huge renaissance of, uh, of winemaking and, and seeing this place explode. So uh, the first wine we're going to have today is the Chardonnay. And this is one that I'm, I, I, I love working on because we make, I make several different Chardonnays for the company and you can't have each one tasting the same. It just kind of clouds the thing. You want, you want a particular wine <clears throat> to, to, to hit a style. Uh, so for Paso Robles, um, you know, Stephen had mentioned that he likes them because they're still kind of pure. They're, they haven't been sold out yet. They're not these sickly sweet things that you often get out of, uh, out of other wineries. It's certainly wines, certainly at that price. And so I get to, with the broadside wines, um, I get to really have a lot of fun in making the wines that I actually like to drink at home. Cause I, I hate everything I make. I've had it a thousand times. I don't want to put it in my mouth anymore. I'm done. People are like, well, great. You get to drink, you go, you drink your own wines at home, right? I'm like, no, it's the last thing I put in my mouth. I, I drink beer <laughs> or, a, or a nice single malt or, or actually the wines I drink are from Italy and from Spain and from France. And, and uh, I really um, love exploring the world. <clears throat> but these are wines that I actually enjoy making and drinking. The Chardonnay you have in front of you is, is a blend of a couple of different vineyards that I get to work with. Um, we have a vineyard uh, just to the east of where I live uh, off of Highway 46, uh, about 15 minute drive. It's called the Truesdale Ranch. It is in the um, uh, uh, San Juan Creek sub-appellation of Paso Robles. Paso Robles has 11 sub-appellations now. Um, you know, that, that everyone was afraid it was going to kind of cloud the message of Paso Robles, but now it's called conjunctive labeling. So if you use San Juan Creek or if you use Estrella, it has to say, like Napa, it has to say of Paso Robles. So you know where it is. But it is a, uh, an interesting uh, little microclimate to the east, which you, you intuitively think is, is hotter, but it's not because there's this cool breeze that comes in over the ocean and over through the Templeton Gap. And it comes up through Margarita Ranch, um, through the Paso Highlands, which is another sub-appellation, and into the Truesdale Ranch. So this Chardonnay that I get from Truesdale, I like to make this as kind of, it's a lot of apple, a lot of pear, uh, a lot of stone fruit, melon. Um, uh, it's not really high in acid, but it's one of those Chardonnays that lends itself well to a little oak and actually adds, you can actually get some butter characters out of it which I like. Everyone loves a good buttery Chardonnay, right? You know, Ron Bauer, still number one. So, um, uh, but, but I can't take too much of that. Just my personal decision. So you can, you can kind of overdo it with the, with the uh, oak and butter. So I also utilize a great vineyard down in the Edna Valley, which is where the winery where I work out of is about an hour south of where I live. It's, it's a, it's a, a valley. It's close to the ocean. It's very, very cool. It's all these alluvial soils uh, surrounded by seven mountains called the Seven Sisters. And uh, it's, in, it's in, that in itself is a great story. But the uh, Chardonnay down there is just ripping with acidity. I mean, it's almost, you can almost make it like a Chablis. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's very, very intense acid. Um, it's got tropical notes uh, that you'd normally get out of a cool climate Chardonnay. And, uh, and, and and Granny Smith apples. And so I blend that <clears throat> in with the Paso Chardonnay to make this broad-shouldered, broad-structured Chardonnay. That's kind of what I envision as um, the best that I, I think that you can do off the Central Coast. I, I do get a chance to work with some Monterey Chardonnay. I worked up in the San Lucia Highlands forever. There's some great Chardonnays up there. But this is just one that I, I, I blend it down so it's easy to drink. Um, it's got a lot of aroma, a lot of flavors going on. Um, pears look great with seafood, which I love. And uh, it's just got a little bit of all the best worlds in it. So that's, I hope you guys enjoy this. Someone's just tipped their glass back. That's Debbie's iPad. Cheers, guys. <clears throat> Adam, I'm with you. I love, I love great food Chardonnay. You know, if you want just a big old buttery, sweetened up cocktail Chardonnay, America offers plenty of those, but this is a fantastic food wine. And, and, mm -hmm. and I, I think Adam, you and I both came from the, the food perspective of joining wine. And I like a, to drink wine and serve wine every day. So it has to hit a price point. Like Steven said, it's really key. And then B, it's, it's gotta go well with, with food. Cause we're always serving on the West coast, 
great seafood, you know, all, there's wonderful harvests that run throughout from spring through the fall. And you want that light, crisp, you know, savory white wine that you can serve with a lot of different dishes. This is the one. What do you think, Debbie? Debbie gives us a thumbs up. One thumbs up from Debbie. We'll take shall it. We, shall we move on to the next wine? What Let's about Christina Wig from Saturday Night Live? I'm just honored that she joined us today. It, it's wing, not wig. Oh, I was so excited. <laughs> you should be excited anyway. Christina's I know, actor. I know, but she's all those variety here, commercials. Man. I know, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay, <laughs> so let's Anna was talking about a couple things let's just jump to the screen real quick just to see those you know various appellations and and talk about you know the we're way south in um in Paso from what you would typically associate with wine country Napa Sonoma but it's very close to the ocean so even though it's south and it's hot every night you know and people describe it different ways but I I describe it almost like leaving the refrigerator open at like four, four thirty. this fog starts to roll over the San Lucia mountains and, and it cools off the, especially the Western and higher altitude parts of Paso Robles. And, and you get really different characteristics from, from East to West because of this cooling factor and parts of Paso Robles are only, you know, what, 11, 12, 14 miles from the Pacific ocean. So, so here it is. Um, and, and Adam, you were talking about various areas, one that we'll really talk about later is the Santa Margarita, Santa Margarita Ranch way down here. You get a picture. If you look in the far left corner, you can see we're really equal distance between San Francisco and Los Angeles. But it's right up against the coast, really close to Morro Bay, Pismo Beach, you know, Caltech, uh, I mean, Cal Poly at uh, San Luis Obispo. So if that grounds the area for you, that's that's where we are. All right. So. Actually, uh, sorry, Damien, I, I rarely do jump in, but given that this is such a beautiful high quality map, and thank you for the visual aid, and Adam, you're sourcing from different areas. Could mm -hmm. you sort of review for us what the challenges are of um, sourcing from different areas and how do you manage the different, different man vineyard management techniques? How do you know that you're going to take a certain yield from this, this grouping? Right. Yeah. Well, that, that, uh, that, you know, it, when you're working with a new vineyard, it's uh, always, there are always risks involved. Uh, you don't know what you're really getting yourself into. I think uh, the fact that I've been doing this for a very long time and I've been working with, I've worked with fruit in every single one of these sub appellations. And I, so I know what they each deliver. I'm, I'm concerned obviously about flavors. I'm concerned about tannins. I'm concerned about acids. Some of the uh, uh, vineyards like uh, on the west side of the Adelaide district out where say uh, Justin Winery is and out uh, Willow Creek where Halter Ranch is, the, that's so cool compared to the rest of the Appalachian that those acids never drop. And I have to actually start thinking about if I'm gonna be working with Santa Margarita, Paso Highland, San Juan Creek, um, I'll also probably have some Adelaide or Willow Creek in there. I've got to start thinking about the, I'm putting the blend together in my head long before I pick the grapes what the percentages are going to be. You have to have, you have to have developed the ability to do intuitive uh, blending. Uh, so it's just really, I've got, before I ever even pick a grape, I have an idea of what the blend is going to finish, going to taste like. And you've got to do it when you're dealing with, you know, a million dollars worth of grapes, you've got to, you've got to be pretty on top. You can't, you can't just say, well, this isn't going to be good enough and, and toss it. You don't have that luxury. So, you know, fortunately we make a, a number of different programs and we've got some other business arms that uh, if something doesn't quite work, I can, I can lose some wine in another, in another area of the company. But uh, I do have a lot of experience with the vineyards that we work with. So uh, for this wine, uh, the bulk of it comes from the San Juan Creek, which is kind of up and to the right. Um, I live, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think where, if you, you go to the, you, you're, go to the left off of that Highway 46 there, you see a road that heads south off of uh, in the Paso Robles Geneseo district. Um, that's actually where I live, uh, right right off of that uh, area there. So I'm not that far away. So the San Juan Creek area, I work off of uh, two vineyards. One is called the Four Palms Vineyard uh, because there are four palm trees there. And the other is uh, Truesdale Ranch, which is the same vineyard where I get the Chardonnay. And they're 
two hillside vineyard blocks that I get to work with. One is called the Lore Mesa uh, for Jerry Lore, who planted it. Uh, so that is where some of the Jerry Lore uh, uh, wines are made from. Um, and again, I'm, I'm an enormous fan of everything that they do. I think for the money, they're some of the most consistent wines in the world. And then uh, block 53, which is across the valley, up on a, on a hillside mesa, um, that's also where, say, Dow and Justin get some of their fruit. So I'm getting a chance to work with some pretty fantastic uh, vineyard blocks. And then, um, so that stuff tends to be big and fat and unctuous, like you would expect a, um, you know, a Calistoga Napa cab to be. Um, so I have to have something that's kind of got some razor sharp fruit and some great acid uh, and some black cherry in it. And that's where the Santa Margarita cab, you're going to have a, a single vineyard Margarita cab later. So you can actually see what that brings to the table. And I will blend that in really just to, to blend the balance up because the flavors are already there. They're working. Um, I use a lot of French oak, a lot of American oak. Uh, this stuff uh, works with American oak really well. I blend some Merlot from the Margarita Ranch and Petit Verdot from the Margarita Ranch into it also. And uh, uh, those just, uh, the, the Merlot uh, is going to be one of the last wines you try. It's actually going to be the biggest wine you're going to taste today. It's massive black cherry. It's structured. Uh, it's got tannins all day long. And I have to, I actually have to blend cabbage with the soft and the Merlot. Um, and then the Petit Verdot is all about finish. It's just a tiny bit is enough to stretch everything out. Um, and again, it's about balance. I sit here at my kitchen table. I've got my wife next to me and uh, I would put the blends together and she says, yes, no, yeah, that one's okay. All right, whatever. So we'll move on. And uh, that's how, that's how the, uh, the blends work with that. So uh, go ahead and try this. Tell me what you guys think. Yeah, and while you're trying the cab, there's, you know, Adam mentioned two things that at the root of wine, he talked about bitter culturalist. It's an agricultural product. And every mm. year, you know, you, you take what mother nature gives you. Sometimes it can be disastrous, like the fires in Napa last year, but, but you, you, the only way Adam takes in all this information is working with those viticulturists, walking the vineyards, tasting the fruit so that you know where those, you know, the cold temperatures, the higher acids, the hotter temperatures, less acid, more fruit. And you, you always have to have these balances, what you want in the end. And second thing is, Every time I've worked with Adam blending, we've always brought in not a ringer, but a consumer, right? Someone that just checks your ego and what you're thinking and says, no, this isn't working for me for the following reasons. And I think when, well, especially when winemakers get together, they, they tend to get really insular and do things that, yes, that please them, but, but you really want, um, it, it's, there's a little bit of science and there's a little bit of subjectivity to blending. Right. And, and it's always best to have someone uh, like Steven or like Antoinette, or even, you know, just someone who's a fan of wine and food to be there to kind of check you. Yeah. We just uh, blended up the, the new black letter vintage, which is going to go in the bottle next month uh, up in our winery up in Santa Rosa a couple of nights ago. And I had everyone weigh in everyone who was there. And it's, you know, I, I think I have a, pretty decent palate after after 30 years but um, I'm not the one out there I'm not the one buying my wine off the shelf and so I think it's important to have uh, I like to make wine by committee um, I certainly have the other winemakers that work for me um, marketing uh, if they're in the area um, uh, certainly a director of sales um, our vice president who actually at one point in a, in a previous life was the senior vice president of wines and the head wine buyer for cost plus world market and a big West coast chain called BevMo. So he also has a consumer friendly palette too, because he knows what works, he knows what works, what million dollar decisions work and what don't. And so, um, uh, so I'm, I'm usually right, but often I'm not. And as Damien says, I need to have someone just check me and just say, Come in, hey, I've got the blend. This is perfect. They're like, you know, this is just a little bitter for me. I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, you know what? You're right. I've got to go back and figure this out again. So, uh, Heather, what do you think of this cab? I love it. It's easy. It's one of my go-tos for food pairings. And I always have a case of it for my family. You know, they're big drinkers. <laughs> Whenever they come over, we got to have a big cab. And it's supposed to be it's supposed to be any, the most easy drinking of the calves that we do, um, certainly with the price point and the fact that I'm working with a lot of the same fruit that 
uh, Dow and Lore and Justin do. And again, I, a lot of those guys are my heroes. And I reach out, we reach out and talk to each other about winemaking all the time. We share a lot of stuff. And, and I think uh, there's some really good benchmarks to work with there. Uh, One of the yeah. reasons I love it, and Stephen mentioned it, there's a tendency, especially with Napa, it gets so hot that you get overripe, almost pruny fruit. And in the Pacific Northwest, we don't get as hot. So we get that Cabernet where you can still identify that you're drinking Cabernet grapes. And both in your blend and in, you know, blending from the vineyards and you're not, you know, blending it down. I identify this. This is, it, it's a nice cabby cab and, uh, and I enjoy it for that reason. Cabby cab. Weighing in on the saleability of it, that bottle, the packaging on all of your wines, are, it's absolutely spot on. Nailed it. Beautiful white space. Yeah, we think sometimes simple is better. I've, uh, I've, I've gotten very complicated with a lot of a lot of labels that I've worked with. My corkscrew is broken now. Um, but but it, 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 you need to have something that stands out on the shelf. You're carrying, you know, how many different uh, brands and labels. And, uh, you know, once upon a time, the more complex and crazy, you know, the Farniente wines and then chronic sellers with all their crazy you know, Mexican, you know, day of the dead, uh, woodblock stuff. But when it all comes down to, but when you think about the best wines in the world and the most successful wines in the world, labels are really simple. It just, they're letting the wine speak for itself. And there's nothing, nothing crazy. We like black, we like white, we like red, you know, and, uh, real quick, just, uh, um, you know, the, the tasting notes associated with wine. A lot of times people ask me like, for Pinot Noir, is that really black cherry that you put in there? And like, no, it's, but it reminds our olfactory of, of those senses. Here's a, just the, the elaborate poetry and tasting note that's Venice Magazine, which is uh, the former Stephen Tanzer uh, publication said about this. And, and just the, uh, again, the extensive note on the Cabernet. So again, this is, this is subjective, but just, plush and open, smoke-tinged blackberry cherry licorice and bitter chocolate flavors complemented by spiky oast, spicy oak tones, fruit-driven and approachable finishing with round tannins and a touch of cracked pepper. And, and the answer is no, we did not put cracked pepper, but oftentimes you'll hear that with Syrah and Cabernet, you'll get these peppery notes. So most of us just say, hey, this is delicious and it's not overwhelming tannin and I enjoy it, right? Just simple notes, but these, these are like, really highly subjective things. You know, I kind of miss the old sexist notes back in the, you know, 30 years ago, the writer'd be like, this Cabernet is like a, a sexy woman walking on the beach in the moonlight. And you're just, what the hell is that all about? Yeah. I remember there are a bunch of people who used to do that. It's no longer appropriate at all, but- it, Very you know, subjective. Very, uh, that's, that's about as subjective as you get. I don't know what the heck they're thinking about, but they better get their mind back on wine. So the, and, and, and that sort of brings us to the next wine. So the next wine in the lineup is the uh, is the red blend. Do you guys have the red blend in front of you? Um, I, I, I don't know about you, Adam, but I think every winemaker loves blending. Like when when you make it, when you label something Cabernet, for example, depending on the appellation, if it's California, it's got to be 75%, but but within specific appellations, that concentration goes higher and higher. But with blends, you know, the, the Bordeaux style blends, you really get more flexibility to produce something. You know, what are we presented with from the vineyards? What are we presented with after winemaking? And how do we put together the very best wine? And that's what that's why blends are so much fun. And what's this? This is a Bordeaux style blend, isn't it, Adam? All classic Bordeaux grapes. It certainly uses the Bordeaux grapes in it. Yeah, and it's probably the most traditional of the broadside wines that I do because when I'm Cheers. working on this blend, I'm actually uh, up on the bench. I will actually have wines from Bordeaux, um, usually wines that are Merlot heavy. So it'd be right bank uh, wines uh, primarily. Um, although you don't generally find Cabernet in, in Saint-Emilion or, or Pomerol, but um, the, some of the some of the uh, appellations just surround that on the right bank have uh, have a bunch of Cabernet that they can blend into it, and so I will often have those open on the bench, just smelling and tasting, and just what do I like about this? What do I not like about it? Every every wine uh, that 
we utilize for the for this particular uh, uh, broadside blend, um, you know, brings its own, there's own its own special strength to it, and uh, or and weakness too. There, some of these these wines would not be very good on its own. Um, in this case, um, this blend was 56% Merlot, 38% Cab. Um, both of those came from the Margarita Ranch. And then I've got 6% Malbec, which is not from the Margarita Ranch. That is also that is from Willow Creek. And that's just a fat blueberry motor oil that just kind of tones down some of the herbaceous characters of the wine, but also fattens up the mid palate too, because these wine, those two wines can be very tannic and very um, tough. And you know they'd be great in about 15 years, but people who buy a 2008 Printer's Alley are not going to wait 15 years to drink it. They're going to wait until the weekend. So it's still got to be approachable, you know, fairly fairly early on, within the first couple of years. And so Malbec uh, is one of my my secret blenders I've been using for, ever since my Han days, where where we had 17 acres of Merlot or Malbec hidden away uh, amongst the Pinot Noir. It's a cold climate grape, by the way, and uh, it does really well. Um, there. So anyway, that's, so that's this blend. And again, I was shooting for more of a, a traditional Bordeaux, complete with all of the crazy aromatics, the Herbe de Provence, the, the cherry, um, some of the leather, some of the, you know, some of the weird secondary and tertiary uh, aromas and flavors you get out of it. And uh, it sees, sees about 30% brand new oak, um, um, 15% uh, or 15 months, uh, actually, sorry, sorry, neutral oak, forgive me, I'm just reading this, neutral oak, but the barrels are generally uh, one to two years old, so uh, you still get a little bit of the oak character, and it's the whole idea being to tie everything together. Oak is a great equalizer uh, in wine, which is why we use it. You don't want it to be bludgeoned with oak. You don't want to smell and taste a lot of oak, but you want the, the effects of oak, which are just to smooth and round everything out. It's really incredible tasting a wine that's been in an oak barrel for two or three months compared to just sitting in a tank um uh changes that go on so what do you guys think of this i think i love that wonderful head right under debbie's chin i wish i had that little head right there oh i know yeah this is our little one genevieve Congratulations. That's Thank so exciting. You. She was napping and then she woke up. So we had to, we had to grab her. <laughs> That's so exciting. But yeah, she'll be a little wine uh, aficionado in, I guess, 21 years. <laughs> We're starting her or, young. <laughs> or, or, or at least 14 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> but this is great. <clears throat> really like this, this one. I liked the one before too, but. Um, Good. We're on a roll. Yeah, I found this in Portland in a French restaurant that I love, you know, and they're always trying to offer a local Pinot Noir and a lot of French wine. But this was a, you know, again, an, an American Bordeaux where they were almost shocked, like, yeah, it's it tastes like a French wine. So compliments to you, Adam. Well, that's hey, what compliments the to the French. They the invented this stuff. So I, I was going to show a couple uh, pictures of a margarita vineyard and, and go through a story of why this place is so famous because this particular vineyard within Passarolos is pretty famous and, um, and, and with good reason, right? So let me just, if I could just share real quick and um, pop this on. So we, Adam did this really cool video from the 2020 harvest from Margarita Vineyard. But um, one, of the, one of the statements you had in there was the, the famous Margarita Vineyard. And can you guys see this? So it, it honestly, this, this is factual information. This is not like crazy embellishment. Grapes were actually planted there by Franciscan missionaries in 1780. I mean, it's crazy, right? They, they literally brought animals and trees and plants and a bunch of stuff from, from their homeland as they came across and explored, but they were planted in 1780. And the Santa Margarita Ranch itself was part of the Spanish mission trail. And, and you're looking at some of what the remnants are there. The foundation is still there. It's, it's not as gorgeous as like, you know, Santa Fe or Sonoma Square, where the, the, the actual mission is just, you know, in pristine condition still. But the, the remnants are still there. It was part of this Spanish mission trail. What's really cool about it, commercially, it was planted by Robert Mondavi and why? Napa is pretty much spoken for, right? It's a small space. It's, it's 
20% the size of, of, of Paso Robles and you can't grow. And then when they planted in 99, he wanted a premier Bordeaux vineyard in the South to grow and expand the uh, Opus One program. So it really was, we call it rooted in royalty, but it was initially planted by Robert Mondavi, sold off to a fantastic family who are stewards of that vineyard now. And one of the most crazy characteristics, and, and again, from the Pacific Northwest, the, our bedrock is all basalt, right? It's all lava-based, but here it's a raised seabed. So just below the topsoil is this crazy ancient seabed that's calcium-rich soil that imparts all of these wonderful aromatics and, and you know, bright flavors and acids in the wine. So th th you literally get fossilized oyster shells and that's spilling out of the soil. And it's the southernmost vineyard. So it's, it's the closest to the Pacific Ocean in the Paso Robles AVA. It's only 14 miles from the Pacific Ocean. And, and that, that change in temperatures, we all know, is really key. And, and, and you know, only a tiny portion of the Earth's surface has that, that big change in temperature that allows us to, to really grow the grapes that make fantastic wine. So if you can see in the middle of this, it's, it's a smaller picture, but that ancient seabed runs east to west the entire length of the vineyard. And it was literally raised up as the plates jammed together, you know, millions and millions of years ago. We're talking like 20 million years ago. So pretty cool and uh, fascinating, fascinating site. And even here you see just tons of room to grow within the vineyard itself. The other is oak trees, cows, right? There's animals milling around throughout the, the vineyard site and it's gorgeous. So, so those, Adam, that's the, uh, we're looking west to the San Lucia Mountains. Or I guess is that that's southwest, but just over that hill is those hills is the Pacific Ocean. So there you go. And now I think it's time for another happy splash. So the next wine, what are we doing? We're going to do the Margarita Vineyard Cab, aren't we? Yes. And and you guys can't see this in the bottle, but there's uh, there's some sort of the, those fossilized oyster shells are there. And uh, so this is a vineyard designate Cabernet from Margarita Vineyard within the Paso Robles AVA. And um, if you have it in your glass, here's another cheers. And this is a wine also, Antoinette, that New York Times has written about. They just love that Margarita Vineyard site. And I think we, you know, that, that calcium rich soil just has more aromatics and, and really interesting flavors. And, and it emulates what you see in Burgundy and Bordeaux, right? So really interesting. Adam, why don't you talk about Megan Wine at Margarita? Yes. So we have a, a couple of blocks that we work with uh, and they're closest to the ocean actually, closer to the hills. There is the Cuesta Grade which runs along the, that mountain range that Damien showed you. And it drops about 1400 feet into the city of San Luis Obispo, uh, which, is, which is very, very close to the ocean. That's a sea level. Uh, so we get that breeze that comes in up and over the hills as the warm air rises in Paso Robles, it draws in the ocean air uh, from a couple of different sources. So it's a very cool vineyard site. And in fact, it's so cold that there are occasionally years where you don't even uh, get the fruit completely ripe. Um, that's, that's happened less and less over the past, you know, five or six years, just, uh, you know, whatever warming or whatever. Uh, but it's, uh, it stays cool. There's always a, a fog over the vineyard first thing in the morning, which is really kind of nice. That also, that also slows down the ripening. And so it's one of the last vineyards to pick throughout the year because it takes so long. And, and what that does is the longer that the fruit gets to hang, the darker the wine gets, that would make sense. Um, the tannins, uh, the bitterness, the astringency, uh, as they ripen within this grape skin, uh, they start to do what's called they polymerize. They, they, they start to grow to the point where they become less bitter and more velvety, uh, the tannins. So uh, these wines, when they're left to hang for a long time, do that. The thing is, is that they maintain the acidity. And oftentimes uh, the wines are so acidic that you, that you have to actually kind of drop, you have to blend the acid down uh, within the winery and, and during the fermentation, there's a few tricks that uh, a few French tricks in order to do that that I, that I utilize. So this is the uh, the Cabernet, 
Um, I've got, um, it's not 100% Cabernet. I ha always have, like I said, a little Merlot in it to beef up the mid palate because the Merlot is big and tough and tannic and can be, can be bitter. And so uh, it's, but it's a combination of the two. You know, when you vineyard designate something, it's got to be 95% from that vineyard in general. I just use 100% because it makes a lot more sense to me. So. A lot of spice on the wine, um, a lot of black cherry, um, blackberry. I get a lot of riparian fruit. So I think of, I think of riparian or the, the, the things that grow along riverbanks, blackberries, raspberries, um, blueberries, huckleberries. Now you're talking Pacific Northwest and that's yeah. great. That, that briary component exists in this margarita cab that we didn't get in the Paso Robo cab. That was a little more juicy. This one's a little more briary and black fruit and uh, yeah. and what what you would expect out of um, you know some of the, the really cool uh, Columbia Valley cabs yeah this is this wine routinely I, I, in the top 10 I, of the New York Times finds I think Eric Asimov really seems to like this uh, stuff a lot but uh, it's just again super we, we super to, aromatic we have to let the great until until almost the leaves fall off just so I can make it approachable and and uh, you know get to, get the flavors and structure that I need I'm gonna do a scientific experiment for the next one I'm gonna go <laughs> you go margarita dude. cab in my right hand margarita merlot in our left hand so Adam likes to do the merlot after the cab because the, the merlot out of margarita vineyard is spectacular and Adams produced throughout his career some spectacular, just you know, surprisingly structured, fantastic Merlots, and uh, and that's why we saved it after the cab. So this is the this is the Margarita Vineyard Merlot. It's you know, as a category, taken a, a, a couple punches in the last fifteen years, but but fantastic wine. And when you're looking at menus, when you're you know, and all of us that work in the industry, we sit down at a table with 10 people and they toss us the menu. I love looking at Merlots and Shiraz and, and you know, sort of some of those off varietals for the best values on the menu because they, they always blow people away and we're not going broke. We're not spending $600 on some Napa, you know, blend. So, so do you guys have the Merlot and do you, are you up for a scientific experiment? Just the, you know, just to taste them side by side, Margarita Cab, Margarita Merlot, and and your, I know it's seventy five percent correct, but it these are probably more like 85, 80 per, 85 to eighty eight percent varietally correct, aren't they? In the blends, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Uh, the Merlot is um, generally I keep it around eighty percent Merlot, and the balance is Margarita Cab. You're allowed to do seventy five percent and still make it a variety uh, label on variety on the label, and. Uh, Conversely, that's kind of what I do with the uh, Margarita Cabernet. I'll blend in about 15, 20% of Merlot into it. <clears throat> and each, like I said, you'll, you can taste and see what, which, uh, what the strengths and weaknesses are of each wine. Um, Merlot, I tend to make much more bigger, full-bodied. I work only with cool climate Merlot grapes. Um, warm, and, you know, interestingly enough, most of the uh, um, bad Merlot got pulled out of the ground, um, you know, after the movie. I don't that that which will not be named, um, and so uh, so to plant bad Pinot Noir, which is great. <laughs> so, but, uh, the, but everyone, everyone who had good Merlot in the ground kept it in, and Margarita obviously. Um, and uh, now the quality of Merlot is fantastic. And, and as Damien says, I, I often go to Merlot as my number one choice off a restaurant wine list. Um, you know, don't talk about spending a lot of money. Well, you know, you get a duck horn three palms or something on there that might, might as well be 600 bucks or Petrus or whatever. But, um, uh, but the, the Merlot, like I said, is, this is a really big, massive tannic wine. And I have to do a lot of massaging, uh, to the, to the wine once and the grapes, once they get into the winery. And again, I blend it down with a little Cabernet. Um, interestingly enough, a wine that is really, really tannic. The way to soften the tannins is to add more tannins to it. So in the form of oak, brand new oak barrels, uh, any type of oak um, will actually add tannins, which forces the tannins to fall out and soften. It's an interesting, interesting concept, but this is, a, this is just a trick that we do in the winery. It's been around for a long time. Things that we know 
and uh, and so the Merlot is got just a ton of cherry to it. Um, really intense cherry, black cherry. Again, it's it's just really massive and full bodied. And because people to this day still think of Merlot as being an insipid, uh, uninteresting red, I it's my mission in life to prove them wrong. It's it's fantastic, Adam, and and again the. Wine Enthusiast has writers that are positioned in each of the appellations. So they have a, a Central Coast wine, a wine reviewer that only reviews Central Coast and he lives in the Central Coast. Matt Ketman gave this wine a 93 point score, which is fantastic for Malot. And, and, and he said some wonderful things about it, but exactly the same thing. Just baked black cherry, red berries, you know, anise, and, and just a big, delicious wine. It's... Um, it's it's surprisingly delicious. I mean, for the for the price, right? Back to the, what Stephen said earlier. I mean, it, we all love finding gems in the wine industry at twelve and fifteen and twenty bucks, where you're like, buy a case of this one, and 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 this Merlot is is one of those. What did you guys think? Yeah. Bye. Um, yeah, Damien, I uh, I just want to jump in here because on your previous slide you had the map of Margarita and there's that SIP certification in the in the corner. And I wanted to relay a bit of a, a quick story. Of course, you knew this question was going to come, but we're doing a, a survey on the organic biodynamic wines next month for our wine club. And we sent out surveys to 18 different wineries and Domaine La Postale in Chile responded and said this, they said, we stopped our organic through Ceres and biodynamic through Demita certification to move to Wines of Chile sustainability certification, which we will obtain by the end of the year. And I think this is a really great uh, example of people who, wine, wineries and, and viticulturists who are really looking to not only farm organically or biodynamically, but embrace a larger sense of what sustainability is. Mm. Do you sort of give your perspective on, on what sustainability means for the wineries you work with and how that, uh, impacts you or how it doesn't or any sort of comment it, it's interesting um and heather and i were just talking about this early this week so heather you should probably unmute as well but two things one i don't know of a single winery that uses pesticide right the baseline practice at all the wineries certainly that we work with the vineyards we work with are organic practices and getting a usda standard you know the good housekeeping seal of approval is very difficult, but the baseline standard at all the vineyards is organic farming, right? We, we don't, there, there's no spraying of pesticides. We're, we're using minimal intervention and, and you want that. You want to strain those grapes so that they're bringing out all the energy into the fruit. Um, we, we also work with some biodynamic and we have a Demeter certified wine and, and, and that's very difficult to trick with, Demeter certification is you can't bring anything into the winery, right? 100% natural fermentation, no commercial yeast. Uh, if you get a stuck fermentation, you, you know, you pray, right? I mean, you, you just like, there's nothing else you can do, right? So you blend, you blend it down, you do those other tricks. But, um, but the SIP certification in the Central Coast is a sustainability that talks about more than just organic farming practices and you know, the really cool thing about biodynamic is, is blending forest, you know, not mowing down all the trees, having animals there, using, you know, natural fertilizers, your own manure, you know, your own crop coverage and in creating a tea out of nettles and various things that you grow on the farm. But the SIP certification is sustainability with water use. Uh, we're on the West Coast. Salmon are, you know, and many things are using the water, not just farming. So, uh, making sure that you don't, you know, like a doctor, do no damage. Uh, and then SIP certification goes all the way into your labor practices and how you affect uh, work with farming workers and the bottling line and, and, and making sure that, um, you know, people can make an honest living working in the wine industry. And, and that's, that, that's really a key part of it because it, you want to be able to produce this reliably year after year and you need those workers and you have to treat them with respect and dignity and they need to make a livable wage. What, Heather, I know you want to jump in. Go ahead. 
I could talk about this all day. It's my favorite topic. <laughs> I actually had the opportunity to tour Margarita Vineyard with one of the winemakers and she's very passionate about this. So she really highlighted this sort of thing. And she started by saying, we don't just turn on the sprinklers. We test the soil. We see, do we really need to water? And we respect the fact that California has dealt with drought and we really limit our watering, but also using tractors is emissions. So they have all these goats everywhere and they're the cutest things and they eat down the grass. So you don't need to run a tractor and create more emissions. And they actually, for the workers on the property that aren't comfortable with English, they print letters out in English for them in case tourists are just wandering in places they shouldn't be. And so the letter's in English and it explains this isn't a safe area for you, but we'd love to schedule a tour. Here's the phone number to call. So it's not just that their wages are always competitive. They show, they give a lot of dignity to their employees. And it was just really interesting, but also something that I really appreciate about Adam is that he always uses vegan filtration processes. I actually called him a couple months ago because I have a pretty severe dairy allergy and I had gotten really, really sick after drinking a wine. And I was like, this is impossible, right? I didn't get sick from the wine. And he was explaining to me how some dairy products can actually be used to filter wines. And I always know if I'm drinking Adam's wine, I'm safe because he always uses vegan options. So I could go on all day, but it's very interesting. And SIP isn't something you have for life. You have to continually reapply and prove that you are living sustainably each and every year. Yeah, the certification process is difficult. Um, the, the, the other thing is just before we pass that there was this idea that winery vineyards had to be beautiful. So everyone started spraying Roundup you know, around the edge of the vineyards to make them beautiful. And, and what, what Heather said is true. Sheep are perfect mowers of grass, right? So in a biodynamic vineyard, you'll see sheep mulling around, just munching down the grass. And it turns up, they, the byproduct of that is they poop and that turns into manure, right? So the whole thing it, it works. Um, and, and I think a, a lot of vineyards are, are getting away from using Roundup as well. That's that's the number one thing that we're all trying to push and get out of the industry. And it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just about aesthetics, right? It doesn't do anything to help the wine. It doesn't do anything to help the vineyard. It just makes it look prettier. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, and with that, I think we all need a drink. So let's go into... Uh... The, the, the creme de la creme, the black letter. So... This is our, I like to call it our flagship. It's, it's obviously in our number one selling. It's much more limited. It's a reserve wine. And what Stephen said is true. It's, it, it is easier to make a spectacular wine at $50 than it is at 15, right? The challenge is to produce something at 15 that you can look forward to enjoying every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday that you're, you're going to be drinking wine. And, and Saturday and Sunday and Monday. I don't want to but but when you but when you when your budget and your boss says hey we can bring in new french oak every year we can use the most exquisite lots within and we can we can bring in more labor and hand select within those bunches the best bunches you know so so now we're we're making everything high labor high touch and highly selective choices on all the fruit. So Adam, tell us about Black Letter and, and just that, that process of hand selecting everything. And, and the fact that it's, you, you want everything to go into Black Letter and the best does make it, but the rest ends up working its way into the other programs and are, are fantastic in their own right. Yeah, not every not every wine that I make for Black Letter makes it into Black Letter. And on an aside, Heather, did you get that um, picture or video I sent? I forwarded to you via Instagram of the new uh, 2021 Black Letter barrels being branded uh, in Spain. Did you? Did I don't you see think I did. No, I'll have to forward that again. So yeah, they just are 20 our barrels. One one of the barrel companies manufacturers I use is called uh, Gangushia. They're in Rioja in Spain. Uh, they use French oak. 
and uh, and uh, they're oddly enough the best barrel producers in the world are all in Spain using French and American oak. You know, go figure. Um, but there, as a video of them branding, finishing up, you know, laser etching the broadside logo on the sides of the barrels. And uh, so anyway, um, yeah, no, not it's this is a this is a really fun wine for me because uh, I'm not. I'm not limited, you know, when you're making a wine, what we call value wine, something that's under $20 a bottle or something under 15 or some of the other brands I do, which are even closer to 10 or 12, you're constantly worried about um, the cost of, I mean, just the cost of the cork that goes in it, you know, is, is huge and things like that. With the black letter, I have no budget. It just, it's pretty much unlimited. I'm the uh, president of the company just says, just do what you need to do, make a great bottle of wine. <laughs> Okay, I can do that. So uh, we get some of the most expensive expensive fruit. Um, we also work with Margarita. What they have is a small block on a hillside, which is all hand farmed. It looks like you're driving down Highway 29 in Napa. You talk about beautiful vineyards. You get maybe a ton or ton and a half an acre. Um, it's all hand harvested in the middle of the night. Um, which is the best time to be picking fruit because um, you can get to obviously 100 degrees during the day and you don't want your grapes to be fermenting but before it gets to the winery. Um, we also use a couple of vineyards deep on the west side. In the 17, uh, there was also the Grasso Cresser uh, Ranch, which is a 45-year-old vineyard um, on Vineyard Drive, which is really, really far to the west. Cool climate vineyard. Um, and that stuff is also uh, harvested uh, at night and by hand. And uh, some pretty intense uh, fruit goes in that. We're also now working with Hastings Ranch, and I'm, I'm just signed a contract for uh, um, the Casa Grande Vineyard, which is probably my favorite, my, my all-time favorite vineyard in Paso Robles, where you could not get that fruit forever. Um, it was going into a, it's a winery, winery called La Venture. They're like you know, Parker and Spectator 98, 99.1. Yeah. They, they just bailed on their contract about three weeks ago because they're now going all estate. I'm getting that fruit now. We jumped in. That's so, amazing. Uh, so, and so we bring it into the winery. It's all destemmed. Uh, it's uh, fermented uh, in little half ton bins. So hand punch down, um, which is great for the shoulders. Awesome shoulder workout. Uh, I actually bleed off some of the juice to go into a rosé program for one of our other things. And so I concentrate the fruits, same thing they do in Bordeaux, all the, all the classified growths do that. And um, then I also bring in some Petit Verdot and I also bring in a little Cabernet Franc uh, for the blend. So this particular uh, vintage 97 was 90% Cab Sauve and 10% Petit Verdot, also from the Margarita, also from the hillside. Also, uh, hand everything done by hand. I'm I'm out there in my Dodge Ram pickup, towing a trailer, carrying the bins uh, to the winery, and uh, it's all done. It get it sees uh, some ridiculous new French oak, some pretty expensive, you know, thousand dollar barrels, and uh, that have the broadside logo on them. And I could do that because I was given no budget. So, so the idea being this. So the consequently, we you know we charge we we charge. Um, we price our wines predicated on what it costs to make, um, as opposed to what we can actually get for it. So I think, I think our prices are pretty fair. Um, so this just by virtue of everything that we do to this, it tends to be a considerably more expensive bottle of wine. So, and, and it's, it's cool. Some of those, again, hand-selected lots, hand-selected fruit that goes into the program, you know, months later after the winemaking process, when Adam's tasting the wines, He'll declassify some of that wine. It's still mm -hmm. spectacular. I'm tasting it going like, no, this is great. I like, I want to bottle just this. So that makes its way into the Margarita Vineyard Cab. And that's why like for 20 or even, bucks. Or even the regular broadside. Yeah. Yeah. You're you can still only make, getting it can only make the wine better. Wine. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. And it, it's, it's the pleasure of doing, you know, multiple programs like that um, when you're making wine. So what it, what, what do you guys think? I, I, I wish we were all together in Paso Robles and, and, you know, watching the sunset. Well, it's not even going to be sunset for another few hours. But. I wish I was in New Hampshire with Dale right now. That'd be really cool. Or Montana. Actually, Montana. I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks, Damien. Going to be in Great Falls. Well, I hope, right, the, 
what we're all worried about this year fires it's really dry there, there's a fire that's on the east side of the cascades on the oregon california border and the wind is blowing from west to east so i think it's its biggest impact right now for smoke is is new york and, and philadelphia and new jersey but um we're just hoping we you know the winds stay moderate and and we don't have a big fire season and uh, and we get a good crop the farmers deserve some relief after the last couple of years. Yeah, we've got it. We've I've been out in the vineyards over the last couple of weeks, and and uh, we have a good set. That means that's the conversion of flowers into the berries. And uh, so the question is, are we going to, if we knock on wood, wherever you have got wood, knock on it. Uh, if we can avoid the fires this year, we're going to have a uh, average size crop, but it should be particularly good quality. So. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you very much, guys. I'm going to go through uh, one by one and I'll ask you um, for some final thoughts because this presentation was absolutely amazing. Um, uh, but uh, I need to, to be sure to give everyone an opportunity to, to say a few words. And Heather, I'm going to start with you. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us before we say goodnight? People always ask me as a psalm for some like insider tips. And I always tell them, Try Paso wines. They're amazing. They're not as famous yet as Napa or Sonoma, so you can get a better deal for amazing quality. And try Merlot. Merlot is great, and you can get a really high-quality Merlot at a good price point. Excellent. Thank you. Dale, we haven't heard from you much uh, tonight, but any thoughts you'd like to share with the group? Yes, and it's unusual that I don't get to talk a lot, but I brought some fantastic <laughs> We're people. working with Damien, no one gets a chance to talk a lot. <laughs> my, my twin brother, Damien, as everyone can tell, we're doppelgangers. Uh, but I, I wanted to add one thing about the Margarita Vineyard, if I may. Something I fell in love with about the Margarita Vineyard and that Robert Mondavi fell in love with is that it had the nice diurnal shifts, the hot days and the cool nights because of that flow coming in from the ocean, and then this beautiful calcareous rock. These, these, and these things are laying around the vineyard. I think Damien mentioned, like, like, like apples in an apple orchard. The ones that are didn't didn't make the pick. They're just everywhere, just pushing up through the ground. And any kid who ever worked in a garden knows that your dad puts you out there to pick the stones, and the next year they're back again. Well, these things are like that. They just keep rising up, but it gives you that that nice calcareous uh, limey soil which emulates Bordeaux so, so directly that it's no wonder Mondavi fell in love with it. And it's no wonder we're producing fantastic wines out of that vineyard. And that's what I wanted to say about that. But thank you for letting me put my two cents in. It's been a I'm pleasure, Antoinette. Well, thanks for, uh, for everything, uh, for setting up the event, Dale. Um, Damien, please grace us with your final thoughts for the evening. One, one thing Adam mentioned, it, you know, when you're making wine all day and it, if it's Pinot Noir, at the end of the day, the last thing you want is another Pinot Noir. You want a beer or you want like a big juicy, you know, Bordeaux blend with some Malbec and Cabernet. And, uh, and I love getting the chance to, you know, because I'm producing the Pacific Northwest Pinot Noir to, to come home and, and to have like these classic Bordeaux blends out of California from an area that's it's a cool farming region that's not loaded with golf courses and, you know, five-star hotels. It's, it's cool. Like you can still knock on doors and meet winemakers and farmers. And, uh, and that's what I love best about Paso Robles. So like Heather said, if you get a chance, it's cool. Like get there. Right. And there's a brewery right in the middle of town. That uh, reminds me, are you guys, um, do you have a visitor's uh, center where people can come visit or how does that work? It was, it was close to COVID. Funny you asked that. But we're opening, yeah, we're opening back up soon, right in the center of town. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, so we, we actually are um, opening up a kind of a little uh, wine hooligans visitor center uh, that's going to be actually decorated with the bro broadside motif and all of the uh, cool. Uh, visual stuff that you might expect uh, from that that's uh, right now they're looking at putting in flooring and and some other stuff but it's about two blocks from downtown if you guys come to Paso Robles let uh, Antoinette know let Stephen know uh, let Dale know and it'll get to me 
and uh, we can certainly arrange a visit and a tasting and we'd be happy to, we're not going to have a formal tasting room. We don't want to get into that business. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's a whole lot of different work, but, but it's uh, all VIP. We have more than happy to host anyone that wants to come out and visit, uh, given, give us a little notice and, and we'll take care of you guys. That's awesome. Do we, are the kits available? I see a hat. Is that half of a broadside shirt, Adam, that you're wearing there or? Yeah, there we go. There's a kit. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's been an immense pleasure uh, to have the opportunity to spend an hour with not one, not two, not three, but four of the Broadside team and with Steven Diaz and with our guests. Thank you for joining us live. And for those watching the recording, thank you so much for your time. For everyone viewing, we so appreciate your interest in these beautiful wines. We encourage you to uh, continue to drink these broadside bottlings and explore more of the wines of Paso and definitely go visit uh, Adam and the team out there. And so let's raise our glasses, our empty glasses, our full glasses and say goodnight one final time. All right. Thank you, Antoinette and Stephen and everyone else. And Gracie. Good luck with that wonderful, beautiful infant. Okay. Thank you. You're we welcome. had a lot of fun and the wines were fantastic. So thank you for doing this. Thank you. Right, thank so you, long. Christina, for your comment in the chat. I appreciate it. <laughs> nice all to meet you all. Good night, everyone. See you. I'm going right, to so end the Good night. Thank Bye -bye. you.